Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Many times when the topic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ comes up, the teaching, and rightfully so, the teaching is, is how that we draw nearer to Christ ourselves. The actions that we take as people of God. Matter of fact, if you read Scripture, much of the context of Scripture is, is a command or a, a responsibility placed on humanity to receive or to move closer to God by our actions. Now, we're not saved by our actions. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He saves us. You can't save yourself. I can't save you. And you're pretty cool, but you can't save me. It takes Jesus to save us. But when we repent of our sins, that's an an act of obedience to Scripture. God doesn't forgive our sins because we repent. God forgives us our sins because he was the sacrifice and the blood sacrifice that washes away our sins. But because we have the opportunity for grace and mercy to be applied to our life, and we have the opportunity for the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us clean, we bring that and make it actionable in our lives through repentance. You study scripture, many many different ways we interact with God is a response and obedience to his word as he's asked or called us to do. And so we talk about, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Christ. And, and then we just start writing down the list of things that we're supposed to do to be a good disciple. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to fast. I'm supposed to have consecration in my life. I'm supposed to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to serve. And we get the whole long list of what it takes for us to be a disciple. Today I want to look at the other side of the page. The other side of the coin. Brother Jeff Reddy made the statement one time. A lot of times we come to God and we say, Lord, I love you. And it's a true statement. We do love the Lord. And in its intention, it's a very powerful response to what God has done in our lives. But the reality isn't so much that, Lord, I love you. It's probably more appropriately stated, Lord, I love you too. Because he first loved us. And so it really is God said, I love you. And then we are to respond with the I love you too. And so I want to look at the first side of that. I want to look at what God does when he draws near to us. When God is near. So the next few moments today, let's recall the nearness of God to his disciples. I'm going to read one passage of scripture to us. To begin with, and we'll go through a couple of different uh, stories or, or, or biblical examples today of God's nearness to us. Let's start in Luke chapter 9 and verse 12. 
you are probably familiar with all of the stories that we'll read in the scripture today. <clears throat> Jesus has been teaching the people, the multitudes. And verse 12 says, And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve, the disciples, and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and countries around about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. Sometimes Jesus' response is just floor us. Lord, we're in the middle of the desert. It's hot. It's tired. We're all weary. Everybody's worn out. I, don't know, I just kind of grab in the context with the disciples trying to shut him down and say, hey, we're all ready to go home. And Jesus is like, we're not leaving. Give them some food. We've got more to say. We've got more to do. Give ye them to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. Lord, this is all we got. You expect us to go buy food for everybody? For they were about, about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looked up to heaven. He blessed them and broke them and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were filled. And there was taken up fragments that remained of them, twelve baskets. You can be seated this morning. Twelve baskets. Jesus is speaking and here he's teaching and he's doing the miraculous amongst the multitude. And if you're a disciple of Christ and you're a follower of Christ, you understand that living for God can become heavy. It can become wearisome at times because we are not just living a physical life lifestyle in this world that we live but every day that we make a consecrated effort to be pleasing to God we are rejecting the oppressing spirits of our world when you get up in the morning and you say Lord I thank you for another day it just sends shivers down every evil spirit in your neighborhood and they're like ah oh, again why do they have to keep recognizing the, the mighty one? Why do they have to keep recognizing the almighty? And you make those times and those, you set aside those moments as a disciple where you're going to have devotion and you're going to read the word and you're going to pray to God and you're going to surrender your heart and will to God and, and you're making spiritual deposits in those moments, you're warring outside of your flesh. You're warring in a spiritual realm just by living the life of a disciple. It was very evident in the physical when Jesus' ministry was being worked prior to his sacrifice to be our Savior. And just as he would become weary in the daytime and in the hours of 
doing the miraculous, so we experience the same in our spirit and even in our physical bodies from time to time. As we fight the good fight, they say, as we war on as Christians, doing what God has called us to do. Living for God is not for the wimp. Any dead fish can float downstream, they say. But if you're going to fight against the culture and you're going to fight against the spiritual principalities where you live and you're going to choose to live for God and not go with the flow and the norm of society and culture, you swim against the current. Maybe I should interject here. The church isn't about being culturally relevant. Really? It's not. If church was based upon culture, then nearly everything would go and we would just get rid of this. The idea is that I am supposed to walk away from worldly culture and make my life in alignment with God's culture. Now, there are different things that happen in, in societies and places where we live for God according to the norms that we live around. But those norms are not contrary to God's word. These, again, are things that cause us to become weary in being a follower of Christ. I wonder if the disciples were just as tired as the 5,000 men and their families. Of course they were. They've been trekking across the wilderness. They've been trekking across the desert. They've been going from town to town, from city to city, just following this guy, playing bodyguard, playing, you know, set up and tear down and create the environment, get the people here, usher people this way, usher people that way. Jesus, this one needs this healing. Jesus, this one needs that healing. This one got healed. Can you get out of the way so the next one can get their healing? And they're just helping orchestrate all of the God's ministry. They're getting tired and they're getting weary and they're getting worn out. And I'm sure they were just as exhausted that day as the 5,000 in their families. The miraculous is exhausting. And just when you're done with all the miraculous and you're ready to tear it down and shut the lights off and send everybody home, God says, we got just one more thing to do. I mean, after they sat down and ate, it was over. Everybody got done eating and went home. hindsight the disciples may have asked the question did we really have to go through all that i mean we could have just sent them home did we really have to organize everybody in groups of 50 and figure it all out and get everybody organized and in a plan and then and then the lord took and he took the loaves and fishes and he and he blessed it and he did the incredible miracle of multiplying what was there so that what was enough for just a couple people become enough to feed an entire multitude of people. Scripture says 
roughly 5,000 men. So if these men were married, there were 10,000 people. And if these families were like families back in that day, they had a child or two or three or 10. We're looking at 15, 20,000 people. And they're serving. And they come back and they grab another basket. And they're like, there's no way. There was barely enough food for a couple baskets. I've been handing out food for hours. And they finished and the miraculous has been done. And everybody is beyond exhausted and beyond tired. And, and Christ says, all right, gather up. Gather up what's left. They begin to gather up the fragments. And when they get it all together, there's 12 baskets remaining full. Can I tell you today, the blessing of being a disciple is a greater portion than the miracle that God does. The blessing of being a disciple is a greater portion than the blessing that God does. I'm here today to be very real with you and tell you that there are times that we get weary and it feels like God's a million miles away. But God said, when it's all over with, each one of you disciples that's been serving all day long and you've been working all day long, here's your basket. Not here's your little piece of fish and your piece of bread. But here's your basket. The blessing of the disciple is greater than the miracle. So stop and think about it. You've been living for God and you've made this commitment to be a disciple of Christ. And you're following Christ and you see the miraculous that he's doing around you. <coughs> you're sharing the gospel with people. You are praying with people, I hope. You're telling people about the good news of who Jesus is, and, and you see God working through you as a follower of Christ. Now multiply that. The fragments that you're handing out to this person and the fragments that you're handing out to that person and all the little bits that you see happening here and there, there's coming a day, and I believe today is probably it for you. Where God says, let's gather up all the unused fragments and let's bring them together. And, and what was partial blessing here and partial blessing there, the miracle here and the miracle there, becomes the fulment, basketful blessing for you. Because God doesn't forget about his disciples. God doesn't just walk off after the twelve have been serving all day and says, well, there you go, guys, enjoy it. He stayed around till the cleanup was done. He said, look, guys, look what I've done for you. Look at the amazing miracle that's been produced for you. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> Again, Jesus had been ministering to the people and the multitudes. It's come to the ending of that day, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day when evening was come, he said unto them, catch what Jesus said, 
let us pass over unto the other side. To us, this is common language. It's the normal part of the conversation. Nobody gets in a boat to sit at the dock. You get in the boat to go to the other side. So when Jesus says to the disciples, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. This isn't no great revelation to them. This isn't no big moment of, of supernatural power to them. It's just the common commandment of, hey, here's the boat. There's the destination. We're going to use the boat to get to the destination. They didn't realize, though, that if they would grab a hold of the common commandment from God of we're going to the other side, the events that were to unfold in the next few hours of their life may have had a different, they may have had a different perspective on those events. God did not say to them, hey, let's see if we can make it to the other side. God didn't say to them, the objective is for us to get to the other side. We'll, we'll see if that works out. God didn't say to them, well, if it works out all right, We'll generally hit that side of the lake or the, the sea. He was very direct. We are going to the other side. Verse 36. And when they had sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full and he was in the hinder part of the ship ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and said to him master carest thou not that we perish and he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Can I ask you today, what common commandment has God spoken into your life? What common calling has God spoken into your life? What conversation have you had with God? And, and maybe it just seemed like it was everyday language that he was using in his conversation with you. And now that you've passed the moment of conversing, you found yourself in the middle of a storm. It seems like life has become chaotic. Seems like life has turned everything upside down. There's turbulence in the wind. The waves are splashing, not against the boat, not around the boat, but into the boat. And you're trying to steer the boat, hoist the sail, bail the water, and stay sane all at the same time. Seems like the weariness of life is, is a struggle for you. And I just want to tell you today, Jesus knows where you are. Jesus understands what's going on. Jesus is near to you. You may say, but he's not bailing water and, and he's not helping hoist sails and, and he's not doing anything but laying on the back of the ship asleep. Does he even know we're in a storm? Does he even realize where my life is? Can I tell you today that when the disciples were in the middle of a turbulent part of their life, Jesus wasn't caught off guard. 
When you bow your knee and you pray your prayer of desperation to God. Lord, I need you in this area of my life. Lord, I'm crying out to you for this need in my life. He's not sitting in heaven wondering, how did that get by me? He's not in heaven struggling to understand how you got to that point in your life. He very well knew that to get from point A to point B, which was his intended design, that there would be a storm in the middle. He knew for you to go from where you were to where he wants you to be, you may have to go through some stuff. There may be some wind. There may be some rain. There may be some waves. There may be some fear. There may be some uncertainties. There may be some struggle. There may be some toil. But just stay faithful. Because as disciples, we keep sailing the ship headed towards the destination. We keep sailing towards where God has called us to go to. I'll be honest and admit today, I've had the same response as the disciples. I've lost sight of what the common commandment of God was. I've forgotten that what seemed to me I ear to just simply be a soft direction from God was actually a strong mandate from God. And I've had to run to God and I've, I've in my own fearfulness, Lord, wake up. Lord, do you realize where I'm at? And in our own way, maybe we've said, and I have to admit, I've said it in my own way to the Lord. What? You're just going to let me die? You're just going to let me perish? You bring me all the way out here in the middle of the ocean, what? So nobody can find us? Go ahead, bury me at sea. So none of my family gets to celebrate how awesome I am? Come on. You bring me out into the middle of nowhere, God, and then you just leave me in the middle of the storm. Thanks. Scripture doesn't record that the Lord said anything while he was wiping the sleep out of his eye and, and coming up to the, the ship. He said some words to him afterwards, but the context of the Scripture leads us to believe that he just got up, maybe yawned, maybe stretched a little bit, walked to the front of the ship, If, it was, if, it was, if this was in the, uh, the theater in Branson where they do all the Jesus shows, the sight and sound, there we go. I had the sound part. I couldn't remember the first word. The sight and sound theater. There would be this big theatrical production, right, where Jesus ascends to the bow of the ship. As he gets to the bow of the ship, his, his robes are flowing in majesty and his arms just lift up in grandeur and he with a thundering voice, screams above all the whirling wind and above all the crashing waves, Peace be still! And it echoes across the whole surface of the sea. I don't think that's how it went. I think he just walked into the bow of the ship. Hey, I'm sleeping, guys. Peace be still. Be done. It's over with. The creation does not have to be convinced by the creator that it should do what the creator wants it to do. 
unless that creation's human. That was a sharp turn on you. All of God's created creation, is a more appropriate word, just responds to his command. When God says, let the wind blow, the wind doesn't be like, well, today? Is it tomorrow? When God commands the cloud to release its rain, the cloud doesn't say, well, I like being in a bad mood. I'm just going to hold on to this and thunder and lightning for a while. When the seed begins to germinate and the commandment of God, which he placed inside of its innate nature, is to bloom and to grow, the sprout doesn't say, well, Lord, you've got to convince me. Help me get up. Come on, pull me up a little bit higher, God. you got to. Well, I'll grow an inch today if, Lord, you'll do this for me. No, no. It just obeys the commandment of God. And so I want to tell you today, when the master of your life steps to the bow of your ship and you're in the midst of your chaos and God says, let there be peace in your life, there's nothing else that needs to happen. The situation is not bigger than God. The circumstance not beyond his control. The people, places, and problems are not beyond his power. He simply speaks the word and it obeys. He simply speaks the word and it is done. This is how close God is to us. He works on behalf of his people. Can I tell you today, God is not fearful of your storm. God's not afraid of your wind. God's not afraid of the lightning that's flashing around you. God's not afraid of the chaos that's going on in your life. He'll just speak peace into your life. That's what it means to be a disciple. He's so near to us. God is near to you that he can just speak his voice. Peace be still. And you can take confidence. Peace will sweep in. The peace of God will reign in your life. This is how near God is to us. When the storm's raging, it can be as though we feel like God is a million miles away. There's another instance where the disciples are traversing the sea. This time without Jesus. They left Jesus in the mountain to pray. As they get out into the middle of the sea again, again another storm arises. Sure would have been nice if they had that weather app. They must have been good fishermen, but they sure didn't know how to read the sky very well. And so here they are again, fearful and afraid. 
no Jesus this time. Just the welling wind and the turbulent seas. And Jesus seeing them out from the mountain in the midst of the sea says, I got to go save these guys. So he begins to walk out across the water, right? You're familiar with the story. The disciples see Jesus walking on the water and they're like, oh, not only is it a storm, but now it's a haunted storm. There's a ghost coming out here to get us. What has this storm really stirred up around us? Be not afraid, it's I. It's me. It's Jesus. Hi, guys. And they're fearful. And the others are all taking a step back, and Peter's like, I don't know. If it's really you, then you tell me to come out there to you. Where does Peter come up with this stuff? If it's really, my version would have been, if it's really you, come over here. Let me see you a little bit closer. <laughs> hey, if it's really you, you tell me to come out there. That would, be, that would be a miracle, man. If you told me to come all the way out there, I would know it was you. Come on. What I mean, like, can you get a little closer? Then I'll come out there. <laughs> so Peter does. He steps over the side of the ship. I don't know if he floated across the tops of the waves. I don't know if he was, his feet were in the middle of the waves. I don't know if his feet were completely in the water. I don't know the depth to which he walked across the water. All I know is he wasn't sinking. And he was walking on liquid. Moving towards Christ. God cares so much for us. And he is so near to us. That even when we think he's so far away that he doesn't have a clue what's going on. He still has an eye watching over us. Isaiah says his, ear is, his arm is not short. Nor is his ear heavy. That's the King James Version. His ear is not deaf or stopped up. That he can't hear us or save us. God's not, you're never beyond God's reach. You're always within arm's reach of God. Peter found out when he began to doubt. Uh, How did I get out here? How did I get in the middle of this storm walking on the water? This just can't be real. This, this isn't happening. This isn't really happening. And before long, water wasn't at his ankles. It was at his knees. It was quickly coming up his thighs. It was at his waist. It was at his chest. And just before it went over his head, he felt a hand grab a hold of him and pull him back out. Because we're never beyond the reach of God's arm. 
So even though you're in the midst of a struggle and you're in the midst of a trial and you're going through a storm in your life, I want to tell you today, you're not beyond the reach of God. You're not beyond God saving you from the struggle. You're not beyond God reaching out to you. This is what he does for disciples. He walks out into the middle of your storm right where you are and delivers you in the storm. This is how close, this is how near God is to us. Be aware today, be very aware today that God is close to you. It's like a mother and their child or a father and their child. A child is never more than an arm's length away, right? The other. Well, I don't know if this fits my analogy or not. A child is never an arm's length or, for the sake of the story, a leg's length away. Adeline and I were sitting on the couch the other day, and I was reading... And she was climbing all over everything, which she's quite the climber. And she decided she wanted to climb up on the couch next to me. And she was in a hurry to get up there, and she wasn't paying much attention. And she got about halfway climbed onto the couch and lost her balance and started to go backwards. And my fatherly instinct kicked in, and my leg went, (laughs) She was right in leg's distance and saved her from falling off the couch and hitting the coffee table. To her, I wasn't paying no attention. To her, my face was deep in reading. And sometimes that's how we feel with God. Sometimes we feel like God's so busy doing all the miracles for everybody else out there. God's working so hard to help save people. And God's working so hard to help get people off addiction. And God's working so hard to help heal other people. And God's working so hard to help this people in the world and help them find who he is. And and we just think that we're all poor disciples left on the back shelf. And God's not even watching where we are. I want to tell you today, God is near. God knows who you are. You are his disciple. You're following him. You're within arm's reach of him. You're right there in his grasp yes he's doing the miraculous and yes his kingdom has come to earth and yes you're a vital part of his kingdom but he's not forgotten you in the midst of all that he's doing God knows where you are amen let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 8 Verses 14 and 15. And Jesus was coming to Peter's house. He saw his wife's mother laid, this would be his mother-in-law, and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Let's not become so, scratch that, let me reword it. Let's become 
so aware of God's nearness to us that we guard against the weariness creeping in. This story just jumped out to me this week. Because God's healed a lot of people in, this, in his lifetime. Peter's been with Jesus every journey of the way. Peter was one of the first ones. Come, follow me. The Bible says he threw down his nets, jumped out of the boat, began to follow Christ. He didn't text his wife, hey, there's this guy here, and uh, he wants to know if I can go with him. You got dinner plans? I, I'm not sure what's going to deal is. I'll be back in a few days. He didn't fill out an email and send it to his boss. Hey, boss, I got a weird situation going on right now. I got a new guy. I'm just going to go follow him for a couple days. I'll, I'll let you know when I get back in the office. He didn't have to, I guess kind of like teenagers. I don't know if they still do this or not, but. They worked in a fast food restaurant, right? And you needed to go do something. You'd call a friend that works at the restaurant. Hey, can you take my shift? I got such and such. I'll, I'll get yours some other time. Just let me know. He wasn't trying to cover his tracks. He just dropped the nets and began to follow. And many of us in our lives, that was kind of our experience. We were in such a place of dysfunction and, and hurt and pain and, and lost. That when we seen the hope of salvation, we just dropped it and began to follow him. And we've been following him and we've been faithfully following him. And we're doing the work that God has called us to do. Jesus, and Peter.